Hey everyone, welcome to Church Online. If you're joining from any of our campuses, a massive welcome to you. If you're here for the first time, you're joining from around New Zealand or perhaps even outside of New Zealand, we're so delighted that you would join us today. Welcome to church. It's a pleasure to have you. And listen, if you are in isolation at the moment, and if you're in isolation with other people, I wanna give you an opportunity at the start of this message to make amends with your housemates. Turn to the person on the left and say, I'm sorry. Turn to the person on the right, say, I still love you. Because it's the Lord's day and we gotta make amends right at the beginning of the week. Hey, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that it has the power to change us. We bless you. We honour you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, my dad was born in a place called Liverpool in England. Uh, and Liverpool has sort of two main claims to fame. Firstly, uh, the Liverpool Football Club. They're a pretty good football club. And secondly, Liverpool is known as the birthplace to the Beatles. And uh, my sort of like link to the Beatles was that my papa used to be the security guard at a club that the Beatles used to play at before they got big. And uh, I thought when I was young that my nana also worked at a fish and chip shop, that the Beatles used to go and get fish and chips from, but I fact-checked that. My dad told me that actually wasn't true, and as an eight-year-old, I just made that up. But anyway, I have basically met the Beatles, and my dad's from Liverpool. He came across to New Zealand with his family uh, when he was eight years old. They did a big boat voyage over, and uh, it was amazing because at the end of last year, I got to go over to Liverpool with my dad and see the place that he grew up. He showed me the house that he lived in. He showed me the school that he went to, the church that he got baptised in. And it was amazing, actually. We walked up to the house that he grew up in. We knocked on the door and the dude let us in. We walked the entire way around the house and actually we found out that the guy who owns the house now is the same guy who bought it off Nana and Papa when they came over to, uh, to New Zealand right at the beginning. And it was an incredibly profound experience for me. And part of the reason why was because I felt like I saw my nana and my papa for the first time. When I saw the place that they grew up in, the place that they had chosen to locate themselves in, I began to see them for who they really are. You see, I realised that my nana, who I had thought was an intrinsically Kiwi woman, a woman who had internalised Kiwi culture, when I saw the place that she lived, I realised for the first time that my nana was an English woman to her core. I realised what a massive deal it must have been for her to pack up and come on a boat to a place which felt familiar, a culture that seemed on the surface like it might be familiar to English culture, but actually it really wasn't. I felt her pain for the first time. Actually, when my dad shared the memories of growing up in Liverpool, when he shared memories of Nana and Papa, when I saw the place with my own two eyes, I felt like I really saw Nana and Papa for the first time. You see, the truth is that there is no vision without memory. There's no vision without memory. And this is true actually psychologically. Did you know today that memory plays an important part in visual processing? Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to the supermarket in search of oranges, not toilet paper because you won't find it, but oranges, what your mind will do is you will pull up in your memory a picture of what an orange looks like. You will scan with your eyes and then locate what your memory has told you that the orange looks like and then you will go there. In other words, 
sight and memory work together to produce vision. Let me tell you today that there is no vision without memory. Did you know today that this is true biblically? Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a famous scripture, the scripture that is the foundation point for this church says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That word future is actually the Hebrew word aharet. And this has a very different meaning to what our Western minds would automatically assume that it means. You see, the moment that you and I see the word future, we project forwards. But actually, that Hebrew word could better be translated afterwards, backwards, or after the part. In fact, if you could picture it, it would look like a man in a rowboat. He has his back towards the future as he pulls himself to move. He stares at his past in order to move forward into his future. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that there's no future in forgetting your past. And actually this view is far closer to Māori worldview, which declares this, look to the past, move forward to the future. The thing you need to understand though, is that this concept, this idea that memory plays a central part in vision is absolutely alien to anyone who comes from a Western mindset. You see, for us who have a Western mindset or a Western narrative, we put our history in books. We contain it in a place that is outside of ourselves, not within ourselves. And because of that, history ceases to be something that is alive and instead becomes something that is dead. We store it outside of ourselves. In fact, further than that, Today, in our day and age, actually, we try instead not just to store it outside of ourselves, but to deconstruct the past. We believe that if we start deconstructing past ideas, past traditions, past philosophies, past narratives, past institutions, that that is the way we will shake off that which constrains us. That that is the thing that will lead us into freedom when in fact it's leading us into blindness. Because the truth is, those things that we are deconstructing are actually the things that construct our identity, and without them, we cease to understand who we really are. We're left lost, anxious. Friends, we are left blind because there is no vision without memory. You need to understand today that remember is one of the central commands of the Old Testament. Repeatedly, the people of God were told to remember. It was built into the fabric of what it meant to be an Israelite. Check out Psalm 78. It says, My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. That, friends, is history. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders that He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob, 
and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know Him even children yet to be born, that they would in turn tell their children why, so that they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. It goes on to say this, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's command. They refused to live by His laws. Why? Because they forgot what He had done, the wonders He had shown them. You see, repeatedly, Old Testament authors actually linked Israel's covenant failure, Israel's disobedience to the simple act of forgetting, to the simple act of forgetting what God had done for them. Friend, there is no vision without memory. And the truth is this, that the Israelites remembered in various forms They remembered in the form of oral teaching and communication. Proverbs 3, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. They remembered in the form of festivals. What festivals were, were national days of remembrance when the whole nation of Israel would stop and together they would remember. Passover remembered how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Purim remembered how God had delivered the Israelites from genocide at the hands of the Persian Empire. Festivals enabled remembrance. The Israelites remembered in the form of monuments and visual signs. Abraham and Jacob both built altars so that they could remember where God had met them. The Israelites, when they went over the river Jordan, set memorial stones in the river so that every generation who came after would point at them and say, what's that? And they would remember the time that God stopped up the river and allowed them to walk over into the promised land. Friend, think of even the ark of the covenant, which housed the presence of God in the Old Testament within the ark were objects of remembrance. There was a container of manna, Aaron's staff, which budded even the Ten Commandments sealed up within the presence of God were objects which inspired remembrance. Have I convinced you yet today the importance of memory? Have I convinced you yet today the importance of remembrance? It was built into the fabric of what it meant to be an Israelite and it must be built into the fabric of what it means to be a believer. See, the incredible thing is this. Jesus arrives on the scene and He makes this statement in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now I want you to get this for a second. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are dead. They're not just dead, they are super dead. Like they have been in the grave a super, super long time. They are really, really dead, super dead. God, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob and his, his audience go, yep, yep, dead guys. And then he makes this statement. He is not the God of 
God of the living. And I bet Jesus' audience went, excuse me? You just used three dead guys to illustrate that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. That makes no sense, but actually it does when you understand God's relationship to time. See, you and I, we have a past, a present, and a future, but listen to me, time is a construct which exists within the being of God. Time is always before Him. Time is always within Him. God doesn't have a past, present, or a future. No, every moment is present to God. What do I mean? I mean that history is not dead, friend. It is very much alive within the eternal, everlasting, heavenly Father. There is no vision without memory. Friend, history, memory is not dead, but it is very much alive in the eternal Father. So perhaps at this point in the message, you're saying, well, Hayley, that's good. You've inspired me that I should remember. Uh, But at the moment, it all seems very inspirational, not practical. Give it to me straight. What does this mean I have to do? Well, firstly, it means that you need to remember personally. You need to become a collector of stories of the goodness of God. You must collect them, apply them, and then declare them. Remember stories of how He bought you out of the miry clay. Remember stories of His provision, stories of the miraculous, stories of His grace. But don't just remember your own stories. Become a collector of stories of your friends and family. Collect stories of what God has done in their life, the things that He has brought them through, the way He has worked wonders for them. Collect them apply them and declare them. Revelation 12 says this, it says, they overcame Him, Him being the enemy, get this, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb and the word, let me break that down for you. They overcame, that is future tense. That's talking about where you're going, your future victory, which is signed, sealed and delivered within the person of Christ. They overcame future by the blood of the Lamb. That is talking about your present state, completely covered by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross of Calvary. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and what? The words of their testimony. What is that? than the application and declaration of, get this, memory. In other words, you will overcome by applying and declaring what God has done for you. See, the truth is this, I forget the guilt of my past. I forget my condemnation. I forget my angst, but let me tell you, I will not forget where God has brought me out of. No, 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 no. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to declare it so that I may overcome. We remember personally. Secondly, we remember generationally. See, you collect the stories of the goodness of God. You apply it. You declare it, but you don't stop there. You have to pass those stories on. Psalm 145, four to six uh, says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. See, not only do you remember, apply and declare, you must pass on. And today for just one second, allow me the liberty 
of speaking to some generations who are a bit further down the road. I'm talking about generations who have experienced countless years of the goodness of God. You need to know this. Until the generations below you have built up memories of their own to apply, they need to borrow yours. You need to understand today that I cannot apply a memory that I do not have. And so we need the generations ahead to be passing on stories of the goodness of God so that the younger generations coming below can build on theirs. I need the older generations to know that we need you. We need you as mothers and fathers of the faith. We need you as mentors. We need you as small group leaders when the government says it's okay for small groups to meet again. We need you. The generation can't build on memories that they don't have, so please be open-handed and generous enough that they may use yours. And younger generations, please be humble enough to know that you do not know better and you need what the older generations have. We need to work together. See, the older generations, you are the link between the past and the present. Please do not leave our younger generations blind because they are memoryless. Pass on the memory that you have. Finally today, we remember nationally. We remember nationally. I want you to remember that these festivals that Israel celebrated, they were celebrated on a national stage. They weren't individual recollections of God's goodness to one. No, they were stories of God's goodness to the many, to the entire nation of Israel. They remembered nationally. And I believe that we as a nation need to become better at remembering the miracles and wonders that God has worked on these shores. We need to become better at remembering our revival history, our move of God history. And today I wondered, as I concluded, if we could remember together. I need you to know today that if you are living in Aotearoa, you need to be aware of the miraculous that God worked among the indigenous people of this land, the Māori people of this land. And I know today that I stand before you as a Pākehā woman, and I pray that you give me grace to share these stories, because I believe that the stories of what God did amongst the tangata whenua, the people of the land, need to be heard. And I believe that as we testify to what happened, we prophesy to what God will do. So today, can we remember together? Can we remember the Māori prophet Toiroa, who even before the Europeans landed on these shores, began to go village to village, drawing pictures of trousers and hats of the way Europeans would look, who three years before Europeans even set foot on this land said this, he said, their God will be called the son who was killed. A good God, but the people will be oppressed. Can we remember today the great awakening 
which happened within the Māori people, an awakening that statistically far outstripped the great awakening which happened in Wales. An awakening which was not spurred by missionary effort, but actually by the simple translation of the Bible, the Word of God, into the Māori language. It spread like wildfire from village to village, resulting in Christianity going from a foreign religion practiced by foreign people to within 10 years, over half the Māori population attending Sunday services. In fact, it forced one chief to conclude this. We often had things come which we thought were good, casks of rum, barrels of gunpowder, and boxes of muskets. What has come now is to teach us not to drink rum, not to set fire to powder, not to use muskets, but to do good forever and ever. Our hearts are sick for the Word of God. We desire it more than axes, hatchets, or blankets. We remember today Tarore, who was the young daughter of the chief Nakuku. He had been given a, cost, a copy of the Gospel of Luke and he hung it around his daughter's neck. Then in inter-tribal warfare, his daughter was killed by the opposing tribe. And instead of seeking retribution, he stood up at her funeral and he said this, there lies my child. She has been murdered as payment for your bad conduct, but do not rise up and obtain payment for her. God will do that. Let this be the conclusion of the war with Rotorua. Let peace now be made. His stand released a tidal wave of grace which enveloped our entire nation. I could tell you story after story. I could relate to you name after name of the wonders that our God worked on these shores. And I pray today that as we testify to what God has done in our nation, that we prophesy what He will do. We prophesy that as New Zealand was a theatre of great awakening, so it will be so again. We prophesy that as the Word of God led our nation to repentance, so it will do so again. We prophesy that as a move of God enveloped these shores, so it will do so again. We prophesy that as grace brought to peace opposing sides in our nation, so it will do so again. We prophesy that as God has defended New Zealand, so will He do so again. And as we testify, we prophesy that in this day and age, New Zealand will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. See, wherever you are, wherever this finds you, perhaps right now you are getting a revelation of the Father's goodness. 
Perhaps for the first time, your eyes have been opened to the goodness of God. Or perhaps today, you're remembering. You're remembering stories of God being good to you. There's a story in the Bible called the prodigal son, a son who knew the goodness of the father's house, but ran away and spent his life elsewhere. And he found himself with no food in a pig pen, looking at what the pigs were eating and wondering if he could eat it too. And the Bible says that he remembered the goodness of the father's house and he decided to make his way home. Wherever this finds you, I pray that you're remembering the goodness of the father's house and I want to invite you to come back home. Back home to the father. See, if you're here today and you're saying, yeah, that's me. I want to come back home to the father I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to know him as my Lord. I want to come home. If that's you, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And wherever you are, wherever this finds you, I pray that you pray along. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a saviour. Today, I give my life to you holding nothing back. I turn from sin and follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Hey, listen, if you made that decision, we are so proud of you. Well done. Can I say, welcome home. Welcome home to the Father's love. I pray that you've been blessed by the message today. And church, we'll see you next time.